Dengrange, the publisher of Lotto, wanted something so huge, something, something nobody has ever done, unprecedented, you know, shock and awe at this Tour de France. It was a, a tour of the whole country. And, uh, you know, it was big and loud. I'm Jonathan Kaplan. I write the newsletter, Riding With, which tells the stories about the Americans racing at the highest levels of professional cycling in Europe. For the 21 stages of the Tour de France, which starts Saturday, July 1st in Bilbao, Spain, I'm going to be doing a podcast. The goal is to leave you smarter and more informed about the world's greatest race. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at riding underscore with underscore J-E-K. My newsletter is and on Substack, it is at ridingwithkaplan.substack.com, and that's riding, R-I-D-I-N-G, with, Kaplan is K-A-P-L-A-N. So ridingwithkaplan.substack.com. So I hope you'll join me for the daily podcast where I'm going to talk to some of the most knowledgeable people in the sport of cycling. My goal and my hope is after speaking with historians, authors, journalists, mechanics, cyclists, and others who are part of the sport, that you'll have a better understanding of the race itself. I know there's a ton of media out there that is overwhelming, whether it's movies, TV, books, social media, the, the pile of New Yorkers next to the nightstand, which never seem to get read. And of course, the social media feed that is like a constant presence in our daily lives. So my goal is to keep these episodes relatively short and punchy, unlike the stages of the Tour de France. But again, I want you to walk away feeling more informed and smarter about the Tour de France. So with that said, let's get to it. For our first episode, I'm joined by Peter Nye. He's an accomplished writer and journalist. He's been published widely in newspapers and magazines. His book, Hearts of Lions, The History of American Bicycle Racing, is a must-read for any fan of the sport. It's one of my favorite books about cycling. He's forgotten more about the history of cycling than most of us have ever known. So let's get to it with Peter Nye. I'm a former journalist. You are you are too. Let's start with the, the Tour de France because everyone loves a good publishing war or newspaper war. Just start with the basics of when did the Tour de France first start? Well, it started precisely, actually. It began at uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday, July 1, in 1903, which was the year the Wright brothers had their uh, inaugural flight in Kitty Hawk. Anyway, the Tour de France started July 1, 1903, in the southeastern Paris suburb of uh, mont in front of a cafe. And the cafe was called the morning call. And the, a total of 60 professional riders showed up. They wore tight-fitting black and white jackets and soft cloth caps. And they charged down the dirt road on their one-speed fixed-gear bicycles, which weighed 31 pounds. <laughs> and thus, the Tour de France was born. And what was behind the creation of the Tour de France? Remarkably, it was actually a lawsuit the publisher of a Paris cycling magazine called Velo for Wheel, and it, that that was Velo was published on a green newsprint to distinguish itself on newsstands and kiosks, and just won a suit in a lawsuit in court 
against a, diff, a competitive, struggling Paris sports publication called Lotto-Velo, printed on yellow paper. Um, so Lotto-Velo had to drop the name Velo because Lotto-Velo lost this lawsuit. As a result of losing the lawsuit, investors, including the Michelin brothers of Michelin Tires, uh, had, had funded Lotto Velo, and they threatened to cut their losses and shutter the newspaper. When, when the, so the masthead was changed to simply to Lotto for, you know, like automobile. But the paper's editor of Lotto was an imposing man named Henri de Grange. He was a tall man with dark hair and at the time had a beard. And he, he was imperious. And he realized Velo was making more money from organizing races like the annual Paris-Roubaix than, than it was from selling newspapers. So de Grange decided to counterattack. And he, he told his staff, well, let's us have a, create a bicycle race. But, but I want a, a huge bicycle race, a, a race of enormous magnitude, so big that its name alone will have commercial shock value. So over lunch uh, of sauerkraut and red wine uh, in a Paris restaurant, the Grange's cycling editor named Georges Lefebvre suggested six days of racing, styled after the popular um, six-day races on uh, indoor tracks were popular in the, in the, in the winter and spring. Uh, and there were a number of uh, newspapers, including Velo, that had long-ass marathon rides. So uh, George Lefebvre suggested picking six of those, you know, pick, picking distances like those six races. And um, so we'll have riders ride around the inside circumference of France, which is roughly the size of Texas. That's, let me just stop you there for just a second. I mean... Because it's like, you know, plus a chance, whatever the saying is, the more things change that the the investors or the, the editors of the, the publisher of the newspaper of Lotto Velo, right? They're they're facing extinction, like a lot of media companies today. And what they turn to is instead of producing, let's say, better better news or better storytelling or telling the stories differently or through a new medium, their first inclination is to Let's create an event. And I think what's what's kind of remarkable is that that's what we see today, whether it's, you know, the Hill newspaper where I, where I used to work or Politico, Axios, Semaphore, you know, they're, they're as much event companies as they are media companies. Now, they're not selling bike races or sporting events. <laughs> they're sort of selling access to, to politicians. Uh, but, but you know, they are creating events. And I think that that's kind of inter an interesting parallel to, you know, what the publishers faced back then. So, so I don't, I don't want to stop you, but go, go on from, you know, these guys riding around uh, France. Right. Well, you're making really good points. So um, the first stage, for example, went 290 miles from Paris to Lyon. And, um, and so it went. Of stages of uh, you know about two hundred miles a day. Some were more, right? Some were close to three hundred. 
That's right. One was uh, 286 miles. <laughs> and then what was the shortest? 166 miles. And did this make like a circumference around France? Yeah, the inside, the inside circumference of okay. France, which is about the same size as Texas. Wow. So it hit all the big cities, Marseille, Lyon, Bordeaux. Yes, Nantes is another one. So these are terrifying distances. Sometimes the riders were starting at 1.30 in the morning, riding through the dark, and then pedaling all during the daylight to finish like by 10 p.m. And then they had three days to rest. Hmm. The whole route went more than 1,500 miles. And, you know, they're only riding six days within that. Right, right. And bear in mind, too, we have to bear in mind that each rider was on his own for food and whatever repairs he was forced to make on the way. And racing is really hard on equipment. Not, not, not quite like today. But just for context, I mean, the 1,500 miles over, you know, cut up into six days. I mean, that's crazy. I mean, the Tour de France, I, th I think this year or last year, is 2,115 miles. So you're adding 500 miles and you're adding another 14, 15 days to the race. So that's quite a that's quite a bit that they rode back then. Well, Desgranges, the publisher of Loteau, wanted something so huge, something something nobody has ever done, unprecedented, you know, shock and awe at this Tour de France. It was the a tour of the whole country, and uh, so you know it was um, big and loud. Yeah, and so you talked about you know, equipment breaking down and they had to make their own repairs and carry their own food. You know, today's riders are supported by, you know, their two team cars, there's the mechanics, there's the team doctor, the coaches. Um, what did they do back then before the auto, before the car could really, you know, really keep up? Yeah, we're accustomed today to cars and, and motorcycles to protect the riders. But back then, those cars and motorcycles were still in the future. You know, circa 1903. Lato had a cycling editor, George Lefebvre, who came up with the idea of the Tour de France. He was 26 years old at the time in 1903, and he ran the whole show. He stayed busy as race supervisor, timekeeper, and he wrote articles when the race was over, chronicling each day's progress and writing profiles of the riders. So in 1961, Lefebvre was 86 years old, and he wrote, an, he wrote a memoir and he described how, before the start of each stage of the first Tour de France and the early ones that followed, he joined the racers. Most often, he they were starting in, in the middle of the night, pedaling in the dark. But this is summertime, and they, they could use moonlight and starlight. And Lefebvre, the journalist in charge here, had to pedal along on his bike until the everybody reached the next major train station. And there, Lefebvre stopped at the train station and they pulled his bike aboard the train that took him to the finish line of the next, where the next stage would finish. And he had to get there before the first rider arrived. And then after the last stragglers finally came in to where the, that stage finished, Lefebvre wrote stories and telegraphed them he probably wrote them in pencil hmm. at the time. They had soft lead pencils on cheap scrap paper. And then he had those stories that he wrote uh, and telegraphed them uh, to Lotto in Paris to fill a full page of the newspaper's broadsheet. That's, <laughs> that's a lot of work. 
That's a lot of work. So just to circle back, you know, you mentioned at the beginning that the uh, Velo was printed on green newspaper. Lato Velo was printed on yellow newspaper. Obviously, for those in the know, they can see where this is going. Um, the yellow jersey and the green jersey can be could they can they be traced back to the newspapers? Oh, absolutely. And yes. when did that start? Well, again, there was necessity involved because the Tour de France was very popular from the start. Every every issue of Lato during the Tour de France had a map which is a Paris is a hexagon shape map to delineate where in the map the race was on, on the day of publication. So it was really popular. His paper was published on this light yellow newsprint and uh, the, the, the leadership and the, or the standings were based on totally lapsed time. And uh, after uh, several years, um, well, first of all, World War One erupted and just disrupted the Tour de France. And between 1914 and 1918, the Tour de France was not held because of warfare, serious warfare. Anyway, after the war, when the Tour de France continued, uh, after this four-year hiatus, spectators were asking, how, how can we find the race leader in the pack? And Henri de Grange thought, oh, well, we'll just use this light yellow newsprint and create a jersey of yellow, you know, yellow fabric, yellow wool, um, for the leader to wear. And, um, and then later he came up with the green jersey for who's leading on points. You know, those things evolved, but they do have a history, sort of a heritage. Tell us how much uh, the the winner won. That Tell us how much Maurice Guerin won. Yeah, well, yeah, the, the winner. Well, we'll come back to Maurice Guerin in a in a moment. But the winner took home roughly thirty thousand dollars equivalent. It's hard really to compare prices back then to today, but it was basically a substantial amount of money. Yeah. Wow. Wow. You had a you had a total purse of twenty thousand francs. Three thousand francs went to the winner, um, but that would be enough for one person to live for a year. Right. Right. And Maurice Guerin, you know, was an Italian guy who was a chimney sweep. What happened to him? Well, only 20 of the 60 starters finished the Tour de France the first year. And the winner was Maurice Garin. And like many of his competitors, he was a hardworking proletariat. Very, uh, he was born in Italy, and he was traded by his father. I mean, here's, here's Maurice Garin. He's just born. He's a toddler. And he's traded by his father for a wheel of cheese to uh, someone who wanted cheap labor. And Garen was small. And uh, growing up, he was apprenticed as a chimney sweep. And that's filthy, hazardous work inside the narrow confines of chimneys to clean them. And uh, cycling was his only escape from this arduous labor. He grew to a wiry five foot three inches, and he weighed 140 pounds. And he settled in Roubaix, France. Before riding in the Tour de France, which he won in 1903, he had previously won Paris-Roubaix twice in 1897 and 1898. Oh, he was he was a serious competitor. This was not his first. The Tour de France was not his first win. That's right. And so, what happened to La Auto, the the newspaper that 
technically lost the lawsuit, but came out ahead thanks in part to creating the Tour de France. The 1903 first Tour de France kept on, kept on Henri de Grange's printing presses going night and day. And, um, and, and so the staff, like Georges Lefebvre, who came up with the idea for the Tour de France, kept their jobs. Otherwise, they'd be thrown out in the street. So uh, de Grange declared that his race would never go longer than three weeks because three weeks was all that his printing presses could take. Hmm. You know, completely disregarding the physical toll or toil of, of riders. And the 1904 Tour de France saw all kinds of scandals. Many riders, including de Grange or Garin, were accused of riding trains. <laughs> so de Grange was desperate to keep, you know, is this a moneymaker now, the Tour de France? And he had to keep his, his Tour de France going for 1904, 1905, 1906. So in 1904, when these scandals broke out about riders, you know, horror of horrors, taking trains to <laughs> help them get to a stage finish, in, in an effort to correct a bad situation, he disqualified race winner Maurice... Garin, and many more racers. And um, the, the, the Tour de France turned into a cash cow for Lotto, the newspaper. And um, each July, uh, there was the cash flow from, for, uh, from the Tour de France race for the, the, uh, the newspaper, Lotto. So what happened to um, the first winner, Maurice Garin, um, he settled. He he lived in Roubaix, uh, boom, and he became a French citizen, and he operated a bike shop. And he lived to age eighty-five. He died in nineteen fifty-seven. Wow. So, well, I think that's that's. Uh, I mean, he lived. He lived a long life. So, but I think the takeaway is that, you know, you can see the same forces at play at the start of the Tour de France are the same forces that sort of exist today um the the desperate chase for money the desperate chase for publicity the desperate chase by the riders to stay and compete in the tour de france by doing whatever it takes and you know i don't know i don't know if you want to judge that whether what you said 30 about thirty thousand dollars for the winner back then or a purse of thirty thousand dollars uh well it's confusing with francs and dollars but um the winner won 3,000 francs, which is roughly worth about $30,000 today. Oh, today, $30,000 today. But today the rider, the winner earns about, what, 500000 So I guess with inflation, that's better, but not great. <laughs> All right, well, look, I hope we can talk again, and, and thanks. I hope that's a great start to the series of Making Sense of the Tour de France, and thanks for listening. The Riding With podcast is produced and edited by the team at Palm Tree Podco. Anthony Palmer is the executive producer. producer.